Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. We travel to Jericho today on Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. Look to the north, the south, the east, the west. All the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Eretz Israel. We're so glad you've joined us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I am Jeffrey Seif. Did you ever hear that life's a journey? Well, indeed it is. Here we're looking at the first steps of the journey of the Hebrew nation in the land of Israel. First stop, Jericho, yes? Oh, I have a song. I do too. The Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I learned I know this it's in been in our head this whole time. Second grade, I learned about the battle of Jericho a long time ago. Still lots to learn today. It's a famous story. People tell it. We show it. We, we take you there. You're going to love it. You do, and you were driving, you had to drive through the wilderness, part, wilderness to get there. We saw that. Yeah, we see listen, that. no problem. They had to walk. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They didn't have the <laughs> rover. Speaking of, we're going to see you driving your white Range Rover in Jericho. Yes, and we were roving around all right <laughs> to places off the beaten path. That's right. Let's go to Israel right now. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. The Lord our God spoken to us in Horeb, saying, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto thee and to their seed after them. And the Lord said unto me, Lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and behold it with thine eyes. But charge Joshua, and encourage him, and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. We call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. But he wasn't just a teacher, he was a guide. And he led hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish people through a barren wasteland en route to a promised land. And here we are at that wasteland, and here we're going to that promised land. As Bible readers know that he went to it by way of a place called Jericho. We're gonna find it, get a little help with the GPS. We're gonna make our way as we walk in the footsteps of Moses en route to the promised land.
It had been decades and many despaired. Moses kept going because the Lord had spoken to him and given, a, given him a particular vision. A particular vision for a particular people taking residency in a particular place. Let me show it to you on a map here. Get a good look at this. They left Mitzrayim, Egypt. It's off the map right here. And they made their way to Har Sinai. Sinai, it's off the map here still. And then they came up to Kadesh Barnea, after which they wandered for approaching four decades. And after wandering in the wilderness, they finally are here en route to Jericho, where they're going to make their way into what's called the Promised Land. And why is it called the Promised Land? Because God promised it to a particular people. The borders are delineated clearly. You have the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, the River of Egypt, noted as the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, going up toward the Euphrates and extending eastward. This is actually a conservative map. This is a cogent argument we're, we're moving eastward still. In any case, we went to take a look at this land, what the Bible says about it. We hear a lot of it in the press. Let's see if we can be impressed by the biblical text. Come with me. Let's go have a talk from Jericho. Well, there's a map and there's a map. Today, individuals are fond of speaking of the, the roadmap for peace. <laughs> and, and typically those that are engaged in the roadmap for peace are simply looking to carve up Israel piece by piece by piece. Uh, I look at the Bible as something of a roadmap, and therein it delineates clearly what God's will is, what his ways are, what his intentions are for people and places. And it is so explicit, it's not even a tacit inference, it's noted very clearly. In fact, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on record petitioning God, reminding him of his own promise noted to the patriarchs, to Avraham, to Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, quote, in chapter 32, verse 13, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars, and all this land that I have spoken, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think forever is? It seems to me that forever is like a really long time. What is this land that's vouchsafed to the children of Israel that they are to have forever? Well, there are various references to the borders I showed you on the map. Now let me show you on the biblical map because it's noted very, very clearly. If you'll go, it's called Bamid Bar, which means in the wilderness. And it's a fitting title, as you can see, we're out here in the wilderness, very arid, very dry. And the children of Israel, according to the biblical text, went on a long and arduous journey en route to a land that's called the Promised Land that is vouchsafed to generations of Jews in perpetuity forever, according to the text. The boundaries, as I showed you in the map, are delineated. In chapter 34 of Numbers, we're told the Lord spoke to Moses. Notice it's the Lord spoke. It's not uh, a secretary of state spoke. It's not a president spoke. It's not the United Nations, commonly referred to as the United Nothing spoke. It is the Lord spoke, saying, command the children of Israel. The language is very strong. Command, it sounds somewhat forceful to me and say, when you come into the land of Canaan, Canaan, 
and the first stop here is Jericho, where, the, where there was a battle royal played out, and we know how God miraculously enabled them to have success in that conflagration. He says, when you come into the land, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance. Note again the language, it's not just a battle for now, it's a battle for tomorrow in no uncertain terms. He says, when you come into the land that will fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, and then he goes to its boundaries. And then the literature is explicit in noting the boundaries that I showed you on the map. Now, at the risk of, uh, of sounding negative, and it's not like the heat is getting to me out here, but let me say, as clear as it is that this land is committed to a particular people, I'm clueless at one level how reasoning Bible people just don't seem to get it. Makes no sense to me at one level. There must be some kind of blindness over the eyes of some Bible readers. Jews are forever being accused of having a blindness. They read the Bible and they can't see it. Uh, well, to me, it isn't just a question of why Jews can't see things about Jesus in the Bible. It's why Jesus' people can't see things about Jews in the Bible, like the fact that there is a particular people that's given a particular place. Frankly, uh, at the risk of sounding overly pessimistic, this is, this is a series I shouldn't even have to make. It is just so simple. It is so one plus one equal two, and that is that God gave this land to the Jew. And the story is played out rather dramatically after spending many, many years in a wilderness. The children of Israel began their conquest of Canaan, uh, leaving the base camp. They uh, have a, a, a struggle at Jericho right behind me. And then there's a campaign to the south that'll go up north and the end result will be is that the main uh, backbone of Canaanite resistance will be broken, enabling the children of Israel to take their inheritance. Friends, if we read the Bible, if we believe the Bible, let's stand up for what the Bible says and support the Jewish bid for residency here in the ancestral homeland. Our resource this week, the Grafted In Necklace. Wearing this lovely sterling silver rendition of a classic messianic symbol shows you recognize the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and stirs curiosities and witness opportunities with this tribute to light, the Lord, and abundant love. For this resource and more, call 1-800-WONDERS or visit us at levitt.com. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store, there, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.
For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Arise, walk through the land, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Worship in the shadows of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Behold the land of the covenant. Jeff was on location in the ancient city of Jericho, and we take tours to Israel two times a year. We don't go into the ancient city of Jericho where Jeff was. We drive by it on our ascent up to Jerusalem, and that beautiful area is filled. You've got to go see this filled with date palm trees. I mean, it's just kind of like a mirage of beautiful palm trees in the ancient city of Jericho. And many of you have joined us on tour. If you haven't, please consider joining us on a tour to Israel. It'll change your life. Also, we just want to say thank you so much for helping us to get to Israel, where we produce our dramatic reenactments. We send Dr. Seif on location. We could not send you there without your help. Yeah, so you say, okay, Jeffrey, go on location. You yes. go there. I know you love it. I do. It's and pricey to it send is. you there. And I love that you do it. I hope that you love the doing to tell you the truth. Not me, but just looking at the Bible land through a, a Jewish perspective and to take people there. It really is rather unique. We think what we do. And if you think it's unique too, please help us do it. Good yes. word. David Dolan is our historian for this whole series. We take you there right now to Tel Aviv to Independence Hall. Let's go there now. The backdrop this week to our continued story of the modern state of Israel is the historic Independence Hall in Tel Aviv. Here's David Dolan. I'm standing in Independence Hall in Tel Aviv where the state of Israel was declared in 1948. But much happened in the years before that that led to that historic moment. In 1931, the Arab leader of the land, Haj Amin Husseini, held a pan-Islamic conference bringing Muslims from around the region where they declared there will be no Jewish state here in the land. Two years later, a man named Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany, soon after writing Mein Kampf, where he declared that all the Jews of Europe would be slaughtered. 250,000 Jewish refugees fled Germany during the 1930s and came here to live in the land. As the numbers increased, the Muslim resistance increased as well. And in 1936, an Arab general strike was held. 80 Jews were killed in rioting throughout the land. As a result of that, the British held a conference and decided to partition the land into an Arab and a Jewish state, no longer promising to fulfill the mandate's call for just a Jewish state west of the Jordan River. Soon after that, another general strike broke out in 1938. More Jews were killed, more Arabs were killed. The Arabs here felt for sure that Hitler would launch a war in Europe and would be victorious and they would never have to put up with the Jewish state here. In 1939, as a result of that violence, the British issued something called the White Paper at a conference in London. 
It proposed a binational state in which the Jews would be a minority. Only 75,000 more Jews would be led into the land after that, and then no more. Well, the Jews realized this was a recipe for disaster. They would probably be killed by the Arab minority, a majority here in the land. Nevertheless, they accepted this plan. Later that same year, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II began. It would be a disaster for the Jewish people. The Holocaust would take the lives of six million Jews. Few Jews in the land here believed what they were hearing, that this mass slaughter was taking place. Meanwhile, German General Rommel was on his way to Palestine with the goal of driving the Jews out of the land and taking the Holy Land for Germany. It didn't happen. His forces were stopped in Egypt by Allied forces, which by now included the United States. That was in July of 1942. During the war, Winston Churchill promised the Jews a state despite the white paper, and they fought with him and helped him in his war effort. By 1947, the British wanted out of this conflict. Following the war, the new government in London went back on that promise of a Jewish state, again proposing a binational state. Attacks were launched against British positions here in the land by various Jewish groups. Trains were blown up and other things. In Cairo, Haj Amin Husseini was organizing an Arab army to take the land after the war. In November of 1947, the UN voted to partition the land into a Jewish and Arab state. The Jewish state would be in three different parts. It was a recipe for disaster, and yet it was still accepted by the Jews. And yet, the state of Israel was born in this hall, May 14, 1948. This Declaration of Independence was signed by David Ben-Gurion and 18 other delegates. The State of Israel was born. We're here courtesy of the Israeli army, literally, that gave us access to a base that's right at the corner where we have Jordan on one end, Syria on the other, and Israel. Goodness, what a place and what a struggle to get to this place. Yes, David? Oh, absolutely. We're at the southern end of the Golan Heights where we had intense battles in 1967, intense battles in 1973. This position and many other Israeli positions were overrun by the Syrians in that war. And, you know, we have these three countries that have also had other struggles. Syria and Jordan have had uh, near civil war, near a war a couple times, uh, struggles between them as well. We have a dispute over water going on, uh, very little water. We're here on a hot day and the three countries want it. We have the Sea of Galilee right below, which of course is such a strategic uh, freshwater reservoir for uh, Israel and Syria would like it back. And again, uh, especially for an American audience, we're talking about Syria being just a few miles here. We're talking about Jordan being right, right behind us here as well. These, we can literally see, and I'm looking down this way towards the valley below where there's Israeli communities. We can see communities from the three countries right here meeting together in this little space. And uh, of course, countries, Jordan and Israel have a peace pact, but with Syria, certainly no peace at all there. Well, 
uh, when I speak of, when I think of peace, I'm reminded of a peace of God that comes from walking in a covenant with God and uh, rolling the tape back thousands of years. He spoke to Moses and he had a peace plan for planet Earth and it entailed giving a certain people a certain parcel of real estate. And here we stand, it seems like it's prophesying being fulfilled with Israel emerging amidst all these tensions. It, it really is. And you know, we had as the part of the uh, mandate given to Britain to help establish a Jewish state, reestablish, as you pointed out, because it was here in ancient times, this area was meant to be part of that state. And it was only because of a dispute between Britain and France that it was handed over to France, which then included it in the mandate for Syria. So there wouldn't have been this struggle on this particular heights if the original uh, declaration after World War I had been adhered to, but there was a lot of pressure that came from the Arab world against that, and so we had this, uh, this struggle. And of course, it's still going on today. The Syrians demanding that Israel evacuate this plateau. There is peace, as I said, between Jordan and Israel, but certainly not this other one. And uh, where it will end up, we don't know. But the fact that we're at a base and these guys are on the lookout all the time just uh, illustrates that that uh, battle still goes on. Yes, and I love to bring camera crews here. And David, I'm glad you're here with us to explain it some. With the, with the Bible in view, I'm reminded when I look at this gorgeous vista and I think of the tensions, we're looking at real estate that was vouchsafed to the Jewish people. And I'm reminded as we stand here and as you remind us of battles present and as I think of battles in Bible days, I'm reminded of a struggle that goes back to the pages of the biblical text. And it's all about establishing God's kingdom plan here on earth as it is in heaven.
That was our favorite Israeli actress and musician Hadar singing Psalm 147. She's gorgeous, and the song is even more beautiful, especially sung in Hebrew. Yes. We love that language. Yeah, the Psalms are good in any language. Uh, uh, just to just worship the Lord. It's beautiful. Your teaching today is at Golan Heights. We take tours there. And I love to watch our people as they're a little nervous about being in that part of God's country. Yes, there's there's recent war stories there and there's memorials to that effect. And, and people know when they visit Israel that they're walking into a modern miracle uh, with battles fought yesterday and these things raging in the news today. Uh, but uh, it goes back millennia. That land was vouchsafed to the Jewish people in perpetuity going back to, to Bible days. And the Golan Heights is all about the Sea of Galilee, Lake Kinneret, water rights, isn't it? Why people, so many people are fighting for that Golan Heights because you have the height advantage, but it's about that water source for the well, land Well, there's of a military advantage with height as well. You want to have your positions on the high ground. They're more defensible. Uh, but certainly in that part of the world, water is king, water is gold. And with the sea there, and then the, uh, the Jordan River, um, yes, the water is a big player. Right, and Golan Heights, like you, you mentioned, some people are, uh, have trepidation, should I say. Leary. Leary of going in the area, but it's safe. I mean, there's, there are hidden IDF soldiers all over that area. They keep it protected and safe. Yes, yes, there is. And, um, you know, uh, people are always skittish. You know, with the, with the dozens and dozens of tours that I've led to Israel, I've always encountered people who went there and their, their friends are praying for them. They're just certain they're going to get blown up. Uh, and then they go and they go, goodness gracious, it's so peaceful and uneventful. And, and uh, uh, it's interesting. There's a chasm between the rhetoric and the reality. It's, it's safe to go. Still prophecy being fulfilled in that area right now? Well, I believe so, to be sure. Just the resurrection of the modern nation state of Israel itself is prophetic. If Jesus is going to come to Jews saying in Jerusalem, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord, then there has to be Jews in Jerusalem in order to say it. And so, um, uh, you know, Israel's reemergence kind of click, it, it sets the, the stopwatch and the timetable for prophetic events, yes. And as we progress, there's a saying in Israel, never forget, and we should never forget the bloodshed and the lives that were lost to claim back the Golan Heights where you were and all of that land. The Jewish people have walked through bloodshed after bloodshed after war. They're fighting for that land, for that promised That's land. That's true. The, the, the genesis of it is the Holocaust. That is, after being beaten to a pulp, not just by Hitler and, and his associates, but it's been a, thousands of years through history, you know, enough already. And uh, that mantra, never forget, uh, prompted the, uh, the, the spirited uh, representation in the national homeland of Israel. And, uh, you know, when you're fighting for your wife and kids and for your future, it's a little more than just signing up to join an army to go overseas somewhere. There's a lot more resolve there, to be sure. I think fighting is a good word, but also a lot of prayer that we even end our program with every week. Pray for the peace. Indeed we do. And uh, it's prayers and cares and shares that moves it all forward. We're so thankful for all of your insight, for your knowledge, your wisdom in taking us to the land in this series. And we will take you to a song written by our founder, Zola Levitt, 
after we pray this prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. Jeff, would you? Yes, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 